Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Good morning. My name's Austin. Welcome to Rosewood. Um, This is one of your first Sundays with us, or if it is your first Sunday with us, uh, you're coming in on the final message of our series called Shadows, which has been dedicated to 1 Peter, which is good news because that means when you come back next week, you'll be at the very beginning of a brand new series. Perfect timing. So we started this series way back in February, the beginning of February, and we're going to bring it to the close today. Uh, We're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, 6 through 11. Here's what Peter writes to these churches. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So before, um, before we had the significant dynamic change in our life of twins, uh, we had another dynamic change about, uh, about six months ago between our other two, the, the older two. Uh, we have a four-year-old son named Ford and a two-year-old daughter named Helen. And up until about six months ago, um, let's, how do I say this? Um, punishments were pretty one-sided. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if Helen was crying... It was Ford's fault. And if Ford was crying, it was still his fault because he did something to make Helen mad who retaliated. Um, so it was just really, it was really pretty straightforward. Who was at fault? It was, sorry, bud, it's you. <laughs> like, we know it. Um, so, but then that changed about six months ago. Um, Helen, and she is a fighter, and you don't even mess with her. She's got an older brother and two younger brothers watch out. And she's kind of coming out of that shell now. And so she's now going on the offensive with, with Ford. And um, so now it's not always clear. Like if one of them's crying, it might be Helen who took something from Ford when she shouldn't have. So now you've got to use judgment, which is difficult. <laughs> so one day though, I finally caught Helen doing something that she shouldn't do. And I'm like, finally, I can deliver justice in the right way, and Ford will appreciate that. Um, she took something from, from Ford. And so I, um, I saw it, and I said, Helen, did you take that from Ford? Which is, by the way, that's called lie-baiting for parents out there. Um, <laughs> don't do it. You, it, what, it, what it basically is, is if you ask them if they did something and you know that they did it, um, you, what you're doing is giving them practice lying, okay? So don't do that. I did that. And she said, no, right? Um, 
So to redeem myself, I thought, this is my opportunity to talk about lying. So I said, Helen, do you know what a liar is? And without missing a beat, she said, roar! (laughs) Oh, so good. That's what the message is called today. The devil roars like a liar. And that's what Peter is finishing up this letter talking to us about, is is warning these churches, warning these people who are a part of churches that are going to face greater and greater persecution, and still warning us today that the devil is a liar, that the devil, as as Peter calls it, and as others in scripture call it, he's he's a roaring lion, this ferocious beast that is hungry, desperate, and bearing down on his prey. And in his final few sentences, to these churches, uh, Peter reminds them that, that in Christ, that he, the, what he has said all along is true, that, that in Christ, dawn is coming, uh, redemption is coming for those who can hold on, for those who can be firm in the faith, who can remain committed to Christ, who don't falter under pressure, who don't tire of doing good, even to people who wish ill upon them, people who, who are there to the end, who remain committed to other believers known as the church, who remain committed and remember their identity in Christ. But while all that's true and while they're doing that, Peter reminds them that that all the while you are being hunted by a lion that wants nothing more than to devour you and, and to take from you what God has given you. And the primary method used for devouring and destroying you is deception. And, and here's, how, here's how Jesus put it in John eight forty four. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, but there, uh, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil roars like a liar. And when you believe the lies that the enemy tells you and and you you open yourself up to the destruction that he has planned for you, he is a roaring lion and his method of destruction is lying to you. Now, now the goal of a a lie or or of a liar in in any case is to forget or divert from the truth. Um, Whether it's a big or small lie, that's what it's getting at. Forget or divert from the truth. Okay, so if you... um, If on Monday morning you sleep in and you sit on your phone in bed and you're late to work and you say you got stuck by that train again, right? That's, you're trying to forget the truth with your boss to ensure that you're in in good standing. If later that day you mess up a project and you divert the truth to say it was someone else's fault so you don't have to take it on, again, you forget or divert. But any, any of the examples that we can think of pale in comparison to what happens when when a believer forgets the truth of God and places themselves in a vulnerable place. Um, The the truth of God's love for you and and your identity as a believer in Christ, as a child of God, that's that's your armor, all right? That's That's your armor. That's what keeps you safe from this one that wants to devour you. And here's the thing about the devil. The devil can't take that identity from you. The lo- nothing can separate you from the love of God. He cannot take that armor off of you. He cannot take away your identity as a believer in Christ. But he can lie to you to get you to take it off yourself. And that's the only way he can do it. 
He can't take that armor off of you. He has to convince you to take it off of yourself by forgetting the faithfulness of God, by diverting your, your, your sense of identity from, from that which is Christ to something else that is in, in this world. The enemy knows that you have a bulletproof soul, but he knows he can't touch it on his own. And so he lies. He tries to convince us of things that aren't true. So because of that, because he can't, he can't touch you in that way, um, in a very real sense, you are more dangerous to yourself than the devil because he can't take it off of you. Only you can, can take it off of yourself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We can get led away from things. Not, we don't get pushed. We don't get forcefully moved. We get, we get led away. And it's lies that lead us away. But in addition to that, um, you are also the devil's best salesman. Okay? You're the best salesman that the devil has for yourself. Because we are all, to some degree, masters of self-sabotage. Um, our problems often begin when we take our own bad advice. Have you ever noticed that the right thing to do is usually pretty easy to figure out? That the, like the morally right thing to do is generally pretty easy to figure out. It doesn't take a lot of convincing to know what's right. The problem is when the thing that's right is also really hard. Because when the right thing is hard, we become salesmen of an alternative that's not as hard. We tell ourselves lies to believe something else, to divert us from the truth of that which is good than that which we should, we should do because sometimes the right thing to do spiritually, relationally, I mean, it goes across the board, physically, uh, uh, financially, it's all hard. And so then we become our own worst, or rather our own best salesman. The right thing to do rarely takes a defense which is why when you find yourself having to, when you try, find yourself trying to sell yourself something, it's just a good rule of thumb to stop. <laughs> because chances are you're trying to sell yourself on something that isn't right. It isn't good. We are our own best salespeople. Have you noticed, have, okay, you have bought, because I have too, you have bought lies that you've told yourself that you would never believe from someone else. You've created narratives and accepted narratives that if someone else told you, you would see right through them. But you're the best salesman for yourself. And if the devil can teach you to speak his own native language of deception, then you start to do his work for him. You become the, the subcontractor of your own destruction. You, you, you give the devil a day off when you learn to speak his own language. He's not that worried about you when you know how to speak his language. But, but Peter... In his final words to these churches that are facing growing persecution, he wants to remind them, and he wants to teach us today, um, that what the world can do to you is a fraction of what the devil can do to you. Because the world can kill you. The world can stop your heart, and the world can, can stop air from going into your lungs. But the devil can kill your soul. And the way that he kills our soul is through deception, making you forget the truth of the gospel and your identity as a child of God. And when you believe the lies of the devil, you become a prisoner. You become a prisoner of these alternatives, these, these lies that we, that we come to accept. And, and, and the only way to be free 
is through the truth. And that's exactly what Jesus talks about in one instance in, in John uh, chapter 8. In, in this point in his public ministry, um, he's speaking to a bunch of people. He's speaking to a crowd. But as is the case often in a crowd of people that Jesus is talking to, there are some Pharisees who are there. Pharisees were there to, to try to catch him in lies, to try to hear something that he says that they can use against him to discredit his ministry and, and, and boost their own. And so as Jesus is talking, there are Pharisees in the background, and meanwhile, John here, the apostle John is just scribbling away as they talk, and, and here's what he writes, or, or here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, this might be one of the most disputed passages in, or sentences in all of, of human history, right? I am the light of the world. For, for Christians, we believe that to be true. For, for non-Christians, we don't believe it to be true. Jesus is the light of the world, the one who illuminates our lives through truth, who helps us to see the world as he sees it. And then he says, whoever follows me, okay, if this is the most disputed sentence, then this is probably the most easily compromised sentence in all of scripture. Because, because we deceive ourselves into alternatives of whoever follows me. Because follow is hard. We might instead say, okay, whoever uh, believes in me, whoever knows about me, whoever admires me, whoever remembers what I said and can win a Bible quiz contest. We, we put alternatives in to follow. It, but, but follow is different from all of these, um, from all of these other alternatives. Because be, what you believe about Jesus, even admiring Jesus, being blown away by Jesus, thinking his miracles are impressive, uh, believing that Jesus' words can somehow just, you know, help your life. All of those things you might believe, but those do not equate to following Jesus. Because the things that Jesus teaches are actionable in our lives. He's not this conceptual being with a bunch of sayings that you can, that you can apply to your life. It's more than that. It's following. Lots of people heard Jesus, and lots of people turned the other way in his time and in our time. Jesus doesn't need, and, and the church certainly doesn't need any more people who admire Jesus, who are, who are fans of some of the things that he said. Following Jesus is not just a conceptual journey. It is a change of life. It is a turning around and a following of someone new. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So as you follow Jesus, he's taken you somewhere. And it's the men and women who followed Jesus then, and it's the men and women who follow Jesus today that found this truth and were able to shake free of the deception that was in their lives up until that time, a deception that separated them from God. But of course, um, of course, Jesus hardly ever said anything that didn't get people a little bit uptight. And so, meanwhile, the Pharisees sitting in the back, they have something to say. It says that the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So they're trying to discredit him. He's saying, you're saying all this about yourself, but you don't have anybody to back you up. Anybody can say whatever they want about themselves. So you're a liar. All right, crowd, come on, let's get out of here. But people don't follow him because Jesus keeps talking. And as he keeps talking, he says this. He says later in the conversation, if you hold to my teaching. 
Now notice this, if, this is a conditional clause, meaning it is only true for those who hold to his teaching. It is only true, what comes next, is only true for those who follow him. For the people who admire him, for the fans and all those people, this isn't true for you. But if you do, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. In other words, when you walk with me and when you, when you walk with Jesus and when you live like Jesus and you go beyond just believing in Jesus as an as a intellectual teacher, but when you actually follow Jesus, then you will know what is true. What is true about God, what is true about you, what is true about the world, what is true about love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And that truth will set you free. The lies of the devil will no longer have hold of you. You want to know how his audience reacted then? Well, apparently some of the Pharisees stuck around because they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? If they made the Bible a sitcom, this is where the laugh track would be added. Okay, we've looked at the most disputed sentence. This is the most ridiculous sentence in all of Scripture, in my opinion. The most ridiculous sentence. The, the, the Pharisees say, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be free? In other words, how can you say that we're captive by anything? We've never been captive by anyone, which is moronic because this is a man who's living in and around Jerusalem where there is where they are already captive the Roman Empire has overtaken them they're not even their own they pay taxes to a foreign ruler they are overseen by a foreign military they've been taken by force they are not free they may be home at night but they are not free why am I so upset at this Pharisee He's, he's probably dead. And I'm, anyway, keep going. But he's not even saying like now. He's going back in time. We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. Okay, this is a Pharisee who should know the Hebrew scriptures, who should know the Old Testament inside and out. What he just said, any kid down in Sunday school today could refute him. Okay, because the entire Old Testament, the entire story of the Israelites is a story that goes like this over and over again. This is the story, just, this just happens over and over again. God gives them a place. They are free. They sin against God. They're taken into captivity. They cry out to God. God gives them someone to, to bring them out of slavery. And then they're free again. And then they sin against God again. And it just goes over and over and over again. They are perpetually just a swinging door in and out of slavery, in and out of being captured by someone. Even the exodus, the exodus is so defining towards Jewish identity. And the exodus is the result of having been slaves. You can't exodus something you weren't trapped in. We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free. So at this point, again, we want to point and mock. We did point and mock. I pointed and mocked. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't because you know better. Because so often when Pharisees come into the picture in these stories, um, 
after we get over ourselves, pointing and mocking and saying, how foolish they are, they just don't get it. Why can't they see what's going on? So often when we actually look at the text humbly, we realize, oh boy, we are still so often in the place of the Pharisees. Because Jesus says in response, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, when this Pharisee was told that they were slaves, they were prisoners, he was pretty resistant. Now, if I told you you're a prisoner, what would you say? So I, I, I have a hard time believing that all of us would receive that news very, with a lot of welcome. We might dispute it. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. You know, I, I'm not perfect, but I'm not a prisoner. Isn't that a little bit of an overreaction? Over Jesus is talking about the person next to me. I'm not a prisoner to sin. Fair, fair. Let me ask you some questions. Don't raise your hand, but answer them in your own mind, okay? Um, have you ever disobeyed God and done something that you shouldn't have done? Have you, have you sinned against God or, or against another person? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll answer that one for you. You, you have. Um, <laughs> have you ever regretted what you did? Have you ever been ashamed of what you did? Have you ever said, I'm never going to do that again? And then have you ever gone and done it again? Who made you do that? Who made you keep doing that? You made you keep doing that. The devil made me do it. Not the devil didn't make you do it. You made you do it. Because this is our life as well. That we still are, are held, we, we still, though we are free from the eternal consequences of our sin, we still exist in this challenging situation where we need the grace of God every single day. Because every day, uh, though his, his, his graces are new every day, because we really, we really need him. And this is the whole point of Jesus' teaching here, and it, and it brings us back to Peter's point, to the churches that he's writing to, which... You know, he would have learned these things from Jesus himself as one of the apostles. Now, if you let Jesus fight up the lies of your world, you will see the deception that the devil has planted in you. You will let Jesus, if you let Jesus light up the lies in your life that you have sold yourself, you can be free. But here's the problem. Is that sometimes when, sometimes when those lies get lit up, it stings, it hurts. We don't always want to see them. Sometimes we're more comfortable believing the lies, keeping them in the shadows, just letting them kind of be there. Because the risk of exposing them can sometimes be more painful than just living with them. I've heard it said that it's easier to be deceived than to admit you've been deceived. And I think that's the case for all of us. And, and that's why for so many people, repentance is so challenging. Because repentance means having to, to look at ourselves through the light of Christ and to see part of ourselves that we didn't know were there or we knew were there and didn't want to acknowledge were there. And that can be challenging. But just like a, just like a surgeon's knife creates more pain before it, it brings us back to life, so is the case with the light of Christ upon our lives where, where we see the deception for what it is and we can accept the truth. 
Because when we do that, when you allow the light of Christ to shine into those dark corners of your heart, when you see the things that you've been hoping would just remain out of sight, certainly out of the sight of other people, what we do is we look that lion in the face and we pull the teeth out of that lion. Because though the lion may still bite you, he's not going to draw blood. Though he will still be in pursuit of you, you don't have to worry about him running you down. Though your enemy may surround you, God surrounds that, that enemy. We pull the teeth out of that lion when we acknowledge what is true and reject what is false. When we have the courage and the humility to allow the light of Christ to shine in our lives and accept what is true. And when we do that, when we do that, the truth will set us free. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth. Thank you for showing us what is true about yourself, about this world, about ourselves, about love. And God, thank you for the revelation of scripture so that we don't have to guess who you are. We don't have to wonder who you are, Jesus. We don't have to wonder, have I done enough that you'll love me? What is salvation? We don't have to worry about that because as we read your word and as your word is read upon us, we are reminded day after day that salvation is a gift of grace, that our identity as children of God is by grace alone. We do not earn our way into the family of God. Jesus, you adopt us by grace through faith. And so, Jesus, thank you for that, that promise that you will never, never let us go. And I pray, God, that every one of us, even if just by the tips of our fingers, we would desperately hold on to that truth, that we are loved, that we are never forgotten, that we are yours, that you gave your life to have life with us eternal. Jesus, thank you for that gift. And, and we pray, God, just, to, just as Peter said, keep in mind all of the believers around the world who suffer in these ways. God, we, we turn our minds to the world as well as, as, as there are Christians all over the world who have to face the reality of this constant plight of social, of, of, of social persecution and even physical persecution for what they believe. Thank you, God, for the, for the, the, the missionaries and those who are, who are so involved in, in helping spread the light into those areas and to keep fellow believers encouraged. And we pray, God, that our prayers would encourage them this day as well. And I pray that our prayers would encourage one another, just as Peter says, that we'd be reminded that we are given the gift of the church. And though sometimes the church, being a bunch of people, can have difficult dynamics— and can sometimes be difficult. After all, we're told to forgive one another, so it must be the case that at times, forgiveness will be needed. God, I pray that we wouldn't turn our backs on the family that God has given us, that we would hold firm in our day-to-day -day life, always relying on your mercies and your grace each day, and through the love and the encouragement that we share with one another. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.